Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad... Coach Alex Van Houten plus his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. He's pretty beast mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 44 of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about the secret life of fat. This episode's been brought to you by the Better Daily community. Come work hard with us to become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily to join us in our current Faithful 40 Challenge, jump into some group coaching sessions, attend some amazing live workshops, and take advantage of our many awesome resources like our amazing exercise library or our meal plan library to keep you moving forward in your betterment journey. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Who knows who you could be if you could become 1% better every single day. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Happy Mother's Day! Today is a super special episode where I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Dr. Sylvia Tara in a great conversation about the content of her book, The Secret Life of Fat. You see, she's a biochemistry researcher, and a few years ago, she was wrestling with her own personal health and fitness journey and decided to make the biochemistry of fats the object of her work and her personal pursuits. I remember when her book first came out, and I learned so much that nobody was talking about. And while this conversation is applicable to anybody who has fat on their body, we spent some special time talking about how the secret life of fat affects the ladies, especially. Before we get to that awesome conversation, here's your food for thought. A food for thought for you today comes from a letter that I wrote to moms this week in honor of Mother's Day. It seemed to tug on the heartstrings in a powerful way, so I'm going to share it with you here. And if you're not a mom, while I'm reading this to you, think about the special ladies in your life that have made a difference, and make sure to take a moment to tell them so. Hey moms, not many are saying it in the world right now, but I'm here to tell you, you matter. I speak not as a mom, but as a son raised in the careful and diligent home of a single mother who balanced the responsibilities of the household daily for many years. I am the product of the undying and ever-faithful spirit of the mother that sets aside her own well-being and struggle to shield her loved ones and make sure they have everything they need through blood, sweat, and tears. My own mother raised us through poverty, trauma, 
and two decades of trial and tribulation while wrestling with her own demons that were passed down from generations before her. As my aunt, a masterful social worker, likes to say, our family puts the funk in dysfunctional, and this undying spirit is alive, not just in mothers, but in sisters, aunts, grandmothers, and cousins. Did you know that we get our mitochondria from our mamas? The genetic material that comes from both of our parents makes up the DNA of our cells altogether. But our mitochondrial heritage, the powerhouse of the cell, that is separate from the rest of the cell and passed down solely from our maternal parent. The mitochondria is the site of our internal combustion engine, that is, where energy is released inside of us. In chemistry, it's fuel plus oxygen reacting to yield carbon dioxide and water. It's really the closest thing to an actual flame that we literally carry inside of us. Our mamas are the faithful bearers of that light, the light that gets passed onto and into us. Thank you, moms, for carrying the light. It's a brutal job to shield the candles of our families through the winds and rains that would see us snuffed out. But if you're hearing this, then someone did that just for you. In fact, if I know the spirit of the mother, and I'm confident that I do, they're likely still doing that in your life, right now. The spirit of the mother is always carrying and defending the light. If you're a mom, you're fighting the good fight for the light of your family in some form or fashion. You can't help it. That's what a good mother does. The self-sacrificing spirit of the feminine that never takes a day off. Gentle and loving to those they care for, but harsh and condemning to all who threaten their own. A mother bear is a most nurturing force to her cub, but an unstoppable calamity to the would-be predator. I'm here to tell you that your fight is worth it, and that you matter. The anxiety you feel to protect your family and yourself is very real. We owe our current existence as a species to generations of mother's watchful, worrying eye. I know it's exhausting, but it's important. Thank you for worrying and praying on behalf of those of us who need you. But mom, I also want to tell you that it's important to let the light you've protected for so long, let it shine brightly. Life can be brutish and short, and one of the chiefest pleasures as a mother to stop and see the beauty of what you've made. Take a deep breath from your worry, just for a moment, and behold the good that you've nurtured and defended in the world. The best son known to man said, No one lights a candle and hides it under a bushel. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and may it be so with the lights that you've passed on. Dear mothers, marvel and enjoy the brilliance that you've brought into this world. Take rest in peace, knowing that your daughters will have the chance to imperfectly do the same and that your sons might have the honor of growing to become men who let their light shine brightly. I know the miraculous strength of a woman to pass this light on to her children and to nurture and grow the lights of others who aren't even related to her. I wouldn't be who I am today without the strong women who have worried, prayed, and encouraged the light of my journey. And I pray that you can do that for others today. You are beautiful. You are full of grace and mercy 
and love. You are blessed and highly favored. You matter. Don't stop carrying and defending the light. We would be truly lost without you. Sincerely, Coach Alex Van Houten. That's your food for thought on Mother's Day. I hope it gives you something to munch on. Now, without further ado, let's get to this awesome conversation on The Secret Life of Fat with Dr. Sylvia Tara. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. I'm extremely excited about the conversation you are about to hear today with Dr. Sylvia Tara. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing fantastic. And how are you? Uh, crushing it, or at least trying to. Uh, a little less fat than yesterday, perhaps. I'm just kidding. Uh, we have a great conversation to have today about fat specifically, because Dr. Sylvia Tara wrote the book, The Secret Life of Fat, published in 2016. That was December 2016. And a lot's happened since then. So I think it'll be awesome to have this conversation with you and to talk about some of the things that have happened in the last five years as we develop this understanding of fat in our body. So first, I'd love to give you an opportunity to share your superhero origin story with us and talk a bit about what drove you to write a book about fat. When people write a lot about fat loss, that's different. You wrote about fat specifically, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, so I've always had trouble managing fat since I was a little kid, really. I gain weight a lot easier than most people. So most people can eat people of my same size, right? So like I'm only five foot three, but people of my same size can eat more typically, do less exercise, and they have no problem with it. And I noticed early on at about 12 years of age that that wasn't me. Mm. If I had, you know, even like a half a candy bar with my friends at the pool, I would gain weight and they wouldn't. So I, I wrestled with it a lot. I went on a lot of different diets going, uh, trying different things. I usually had to eat less on those diets than people around me who lost weight faster. So I was very frustrated with this. And I thought I must be doing something wrong, right? Everyone else is losing weight and I'm not. Yeah. And I was about to go on what had to have been my 20th different diet to try. And I finally decided, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I have to understand my fat. There's something different and weird about the way my body acts. And I want to figure it out. And I thought, well, I'm a biochemist, right? I'm a scientist by training. So, you know, I have the background to figure it out. So I went on a five-year expedition reading every article about fat. I, I think I dug out about a thousand publications out of the scientific literature. I actually phoned up and called over 50 researchers about their fat, like the fat research they were doing. Mm. And I learned so much. And what I was learning was so shocking. It wasn't making its way to the public at all. And I thought, you know, I have to share what I'm learning because it's, it's fat is very different than what we think it is. It behaves very differently. It has different powers than we think it does. And if you don't understand your fat, you really can't control it. And it becomes important if you have stubborn fat like me, you truly have to understand your fats in order to, to, to lose it. So for me, knowledge is power and, and sharing this, I'm hoping empowers people to understand their bodies. Mm, yeah. And to understand something is to kind of liberate yourself from it almost, right? Because you can really sink your teeth into it. Uh, pardon the dad joke. But you know, in this case, as you talk about fat, you sound very different from somebody, you know, even in my space, in the health and fitness world, we talk about fat as if it's something to lose. Like fat loss is 
even on this show, I've said the word fat loss probably more often than just about anything else other than maybe sleep deprivation. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not. (laughs) But that said, we talk about fat as if it's something to lose, as if it's an accumulation of something that we don't want around and that we can you know, make changes that will keep it around or burn it off or or whatever. But you talk about fat as if it has a mind of its own. And when I read your book, I remember thinking this was, I read your book about four years ago now. I remember thinking like, holy crap, this is an organ. Wow. Like that changes a lot about what it is that we should be saying with regard to fat. So can you help me understand what is the secret life of fat? What is it? What does it do? And then we'll talk a little bit about what we can do about it when it goes bad. Yeah, no, that's really good. That that was the biggest part of what I learned that I really wanted to share with people because it's very unusual. We, we think of fat as something you should lose. You should have as little of as you possibly can because it's this terrible thing. It's like a vestigial relic of the past that we had to have in days of famine. So untrue. So what I learned is that fat is actually an endocrine organ. Endocrine organ meaning it releases hormones into our body that our body depends on to function properly. So think of it like your adrenal gland that produces adrenaline, your thyroid uh, gland that produces thyroid hormones. It's that important. Mm And the hormones fat produces are leptin and adiponectin. They're two of the most important ones. And then estrogen as well, right? So women who are are postmenopausal actually depend on their fat as a a source of estrogen. It produces estrogen. Because their ovaries stop doing much of that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, but I think the most important one, the most, you know, written about one is probably leptin, right? So fat produces this hormone called leptin. It's your biggest supplier of leptin and leptin has wide ranging effects all over your body. So one thing it does is when fat releases it into the bloodstream, it travels to your brain, to your hypothalamus, and there it actually controls appetite. Right. So so when you start losing fat, your body senses you now have a little less leptin because you've been losing some fat. And our brains really overreact to that to the point that it goes looking for food. Like it says like something's wrong in the environment. You know, our fat is melting. We, we don't have enough food. And it goes obsessively looking for food. So as you lose weight, if you get hungry, it's not because you're on the wrong diet or you're doing something wrong or you're a bad person or you're a glutton. Your fat is controlling your mind. It is telling your body there's a reduction in leptin here. Please go find some food. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing leptin does is it controls uh, your metabolism. So skeletal muscle is dependent on leptin. And when you get less leptin, when you're losing fat, say, um, we go to a more efficient source of of, of, um, muscle fiber that burns fewer calories. So we actually burn less calories as we're losing fat, Mm -hmm. 20% fewer calories, right? And that has consequences. So as you're losing fat, you're hungrier, right? You're looking for food and you're, you're conserving calories. You're burning fewer calories. And this is really important to know. It's a caloric penalty, if you will, because uh, people, as you, as you burn fewer calories, you need maybe 450 calories less a day than someone who didn't have to lose weight to get to that weight. Mm. So someone who's like, say, 170 pounds and lost 20 pounds to get to 150 pounds, that person will have to eat 22% fewer calories than the person who's 150 pounds naturally. who didn't have to lose weight to get there, Mm. right? So this was the reason I couldn't eat as much as people around me because I had dieted in the past. I had lost weight in the past. I now had this caloric penalty. I had to eat less than other people to stay at the same weight they did, right? Mm. So so it's something really important to know. And it's not just your, your brain and your muscle and your, your metabolism, fat through leptin actually controls a lot of things, right? Bone density is dependent on leptin. 
a wound healing even is dependent on your fat and leptin. So people who have adequate levels of fat, they heal quite normally. People with very low levels, like people with anorexia nervosa, they don't heal as quickly. Their immune system is impaired as well. Brain size is linked to fat, mm. right? So again, people who have defective fat that doesn't produce leptin or they have anorexia and very low levels of leptin, their brains start to lose volume, right? So there, there's so much in your body that is dependent on your fat because of the production of leptin, estrogen and adiponectin, and also just be for other reasons as well. So fat's very intricate. And we're only starting to learn all about fat because it wasn't really heavily researched until maybe that the 80s, mm. you know, when, when fat started becoming bigger and people started worrying about the, the fat, obesity epidemic, research dollars started going into it. So now we're really learning about what fat truly is. And I think we're just in the beginning of the stages of finding out what an intricate weird organ that it is when we just thought it was a reserve of calories. <laughs> we used to say big boned. Now we can say big brained, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's going to win any awards anytime soon. <laughs> so what I'm hearing and what I appreciated about your book was two two things that really stood out to me. It's helpful one to think of fat, not as you know, we think of it as I say we, but in the health and fitness industry at large, we think of it as an unwanted guest in our house that we need to get rid of. It's like a 30-year-old kid who lives in your basement. You're like, dude, I raised you better than this. Go get a job. Get out of here. It's yeah. similarly, like people think about their, they're like grabbing the fat on their love handles and going, how do I get rid of this? Uh, but it's helpful to understand that that's an organ, just like other organs in your body. And it's regulated by very, very large global systems in the body. Yes. It's not just an energy imbalance surplus. There are genetic markers and many other factors that can be attributed to why your body has deemed that this organ needs to grow. And understanding fat in that capacity really changes things. You're familiar with the idiom, the common idiom, you're under a lot of weight lately, or you're carrying a heavy load. Yeah. You've heard that, right? Yeah. I always thought that was interesting because that means you're really stressed out. You have a lot of things going on in life. But what's really interesting is it also physically manifests in the sense that we know that stress. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tends to turn on the things that want to accumulate fat in us and to turn off some of the things that are really good at, you know, keeping fat low in our organ systems. And uh, when we're carrying a heavy load, it actually manifests on the scale for us over time, right? Uh, we just went through COVID. Yeah. How many people, like, I think, uh, did you read that study? It was like the average American gained nine pounds in the last year. It was more than that. It was something like, is that, is that true? I think of the people who gained, right? And I think it was like 60% gain. I thought it was even higher, like between 29 to 42 pounds. It was a really huge amount of weight. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Exactly right. So when they when they looked at the overall study, the average weight gain was was uh, seven to nine pounds, something like that. But if you took just the people, like there's a certain class of people who didn't gain any weight at all. Yeah. If you took them out, like if you're like, oh, you maintain normal weight during COVID, get, get out of here. We don't want to talk to you. But the people who did gain, yes, you're right. It was over 25 pounds. Yeah. Like just a massive, like 
I think we're carrying a heavy load right now. I think we've been through something. <laughs> that's yeah, that's it's, it's stressful. And I write about that as well. I mean, the stress actually leads to fat. When people feel more out of control, it's happened before in other, in other areas, like with the depression and or the Great Recession, candy sales go up. It's almost like there's a certain amount of stress you can take in your life. And after that, you know, a lot of people just they give up and they just want to feel good. And, and food in a way is like a drug, right? So if you get sugar, it gets you a little high. You feel a little good if you have some chocolate or candy or whatever. And so I, I think we have, we have limitations on capacity of how much we can take on. And at times of like, say, a divorce or a job loss, it's not a great time to start a diet, right? Because a diet on its own, a weight loss program takes a lot of self-control, it takes a lot of diligence and you have to apply yourself. And if you're going through a lot of stress, you don't feel like it, right? So, so you let it go. And I think with COVID, I know I felt out of control. Sometimes it's like I was stuck in my, my house. It was very, I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything. It felt uncertain. And, and it has that effect. You know, there, there's interesting research when you talk about, you know, capacity for willpower. So when, when they look at doctors all day in hospitals, they're supposed to wash their hands all the time. And towards the end of the day, they stop. They just don't wash their hands that much anymore because they just get tired of doing it. They're worn out by the day. The day is long. Mm -hmm. They've seen a lot of patients. They're, they're not feeling like adhering to any more rules right now. So they stop. But if you give them longer breaks in between their shifts, they actually will continue to wash their hands. And so this actually becomes an important part of dieting when you're losing weight is that you have to give yourself breaks somehow, right? Otherwise, it's very hard to stay on. You have to start your diet at the right time when you have capacity to, to pay attention to it. And then you have to like engineer in breaks. And it doesn't have to be food breaks where you go and binge, but it could be vacation breaks. It could be shopping breaks, something that gives you a lift every now and then, maybe once a week or so, depending on, on your personality that keeps you going. So I, I think the whole COVID thing is just, it's reinforced a lot of understanding about how the mind works, psychology and people's ability to take on stress mm. and the kind of uh, you know breaks that we need. The other interesting part is that people who are already obese gained more weight than people who weren't, right? So if you already, you know, had some fat or a you know, predisposition for, for a high appetite, it just got worse during COVID. Right. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't get better. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and well, and, and this is something you talk about in the book. I don't know if you use these exact words. It's been four years, forgive me. But one of the things you find is that the more fat that accumulates on your body, the easier it is to continue gaining. Yeah. That's biochemically speaking, the fat begets fat, you know, uh, from a hormonal perspective. And then on the opposite side of things, you, you kind of spoke about this a bit just a second ago with the leptin deficiency. As you lose fat, at first, at least at, in the initial stages of your body adapting to that change, at first, it's harder to keep it off and to continue losing. And, and before anybody like goes into a horrible desperation, imagine your fat produces leptin and your brain has to have receptors to respond to said leptin. There is evidence to suggest that as you maintain a particular fat profile, your brain just increases the number of receptors so that your body can respond to the leptin that's produced. You, so you, you kind of get used to the new baseline, so to speak. So it's not all gloom and doom. But one of the things you do talk about is that that fat kind of begets fat and that the process of losing fat and the process of, of your body, you know, coming to a new homeostasis, it's a long process. Like you yeah. don't pull any punches in that. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good one. It's like fat gain begets fat gain and fat loss begets fat loss. So, so your body gets, it gets used to a new normal. So it'll take it a while to adjust. Your body will fight 
the new normal for a long time. It's variable, but it could be months where it wants to hold on to the weight that it has. It doesn't want to change. And it really, it's a buffer. So, you know, another thing in my research to help me respect and understand fat, right? So it's trying to help us think of it like that. So when you do eat too much, it's trying to absorb that, right? When you, when you don't have enough, it's trying to give you back something to, to burn, right? For calories. And in addition, it has all these hormones and things it's doing around your body, right? So it's, it's a great help to us, but it wants to stay stable. So it's not sure. Like when you stop eating for like, say a week, you, you eat a lot less. It doesn't know what's going on. And it's, it's worried. It's like, okay, there's a change in our environment. Let's give up just a little bit of fat. Cause I don't know what's going on here. Mm. Let's get them to eat a little bit more because something's wrong. And it has, this body has to start seeking food, right? Let's start getting a little bit more conservative on our calories. Cause I don't know if I'm in for a famine. Right? And so we have, we have like kind of ancestral learnings in our body too. That's carried through our DNA and, uh, you know, through epigenetics and a number of different ways, but if, especially if you come from races that have come through famine, right? And I write about this in the book too, the genetics, mm-hmm. you might have a body that's predisposed to try to save calories because it's used to this kind of environment. It's had it from, you know, through ancestry. But anyway, back back on, on this thing. So fat gain begets fat gain. So when you start to gain fat cells, right? You're, you're, you have stem cells in your body, stem cells that can turn into either a fat cell or a cartilage cell, or perhaps a muscle cell, depending on what the body's needs are, right? So those stem cells will get signals. If you're eating a lot, you're getting a signal, you know, to that stem cell that we need more fat here. We have a lot to store, right? There's there's too much energy in the environment. We have to store it. You will start gaining fat. So your stem cells are now, you know, they've got a line to create fat cells. And if you keep gaining fat, those fat cells send out a signal to your, your blood supply, right? To the veins to start. We need nutrition. We need oxygen and we need nutrition. So your veins will start growing into that new fat to, you know, energize that fat, to give it the nutrients that it needs to stay alive. And so once you have that, right, it's there now. So it's like fat begets fat because now it's even easier to gain fat because any extra nutrients flowing through those new veins is going to deposit in your fats, right? In this newly formed fat. So fat begets fat. At the same time, right, fat loss begets fat loss. And so as you start to lose, your body starts to adjust and it doesn't want to right away. It wants to conserve. But over time, it's going to say, okay, we don't need so much fat. It's an extra burden, right? This person's running, jogging. We don't, we don't need all this. It'll start to melt some of that fat. At first, your body responds by getting hungrier, by lowering its metabolism. It wants it to stay. But after a while, it starts to say, this is the new normal, right? We're eating less. We don't need this extra weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll start to, to reduce some of that. And it'll go down a spiral by which everything gets a little bit easier to lose that fat. And so I think the most important takeaway is that for dieters, get through the first few months. The first few months, you know, they might be really hard. If you're lucky, it's only like the first few weeks. But for some people, it's longer. So that caloric penalty that we talked about, where you have to eat 22% uh, fewer calories, it's really variable when that ends. And you mentioned that leptin receptors will start to overexpress and your body gets used to a new normal. They've studied that caloric penalty for six years. And for some people, it didn't go away in six years. It stayed. So you might have this caloric penalty forever. Hopefully you don't, right? But even if you do, I mean, the net takeaway is that you don't have to be overweight, right? That you might have to eat fewer calories going forward, but that's the fine price to pay for being healthy, right? And happy. And at least you know what it is now. So you don't have to be frustrated that people around you eat more. I must be on the wrong diet. Let me try my, my next diet and see if that's going to work. It's not the diet. And it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's your body has changed after you've lost some fats, right? To, you know, address that caloric penalty. Mm, So well said. You said so many good things there. One of the things I'd like to highlight for my listeners here is the idea of playing the best game with the hand you've been dealt is that 
you, you know, when you were when you were conceived, you were dealt this wonderful genetic profile that's yours forever. Like you don't get to change that. But you do, as as we're learning through the field of epigenetics, you do have a say in how some of those genes are expressed and how some of them aren't. Yeah. And then we're also finding that even though you can't really change that about you, what you know, one might let's say you're you're one of the stubborn fat people, quote unquote. Okay, fine. I'm a stubborn fat person. What does that mean for me? Then how will I live? How will I live day to day knowing that I'm a stubborn fat person? So you don't know this about me, uh, Dr. Sylvia Terra, but, but I have a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos. And so my ligaments and tendons don't do what they're supposed to do. My, my joints don't like to stick together very well. And so early on, it was very apparent to me that some people can pick up weight training and they can, you know, enjoy it a little bit and then they can go do some running and they can jump around and they can do these things. That's not what I get to do. If I don't regularly weight train, I'm going to live in pain, period. And so I have to, you know, wrestle with that discipline every day, even if I don't have time. And even if my kids are driving me crazy, and even if COVID shuts down all the gyms, like that's something that I get to live with. Right. And I want to make the best of that because nobody else can do it for me. And I love when I'm working with clients, as you can imagine, in the health and fitness space, nobody comes to me saying, you know what, I'm a great fat burner. Like, I don't need any help with that. I'm hiring you for some completely different reason. Most people who come to me are like, dude, I've tried everything. <laughs> it's not, I've tried everything, man. And, and I'm still fat. And I'm still working on this thing. Like, how do I wrestle with this? So it's such an important mindset shift to understand, look, this is the hand of cards you've been dealt. Yeah. This is what you got. And that's not a bad thing. It's just something we're going to learn to live with well. And that doesn't have to be a, a terrible, you know, cloud over your life. There's intelligent ways to go about making the best of that. And so I, I appreciate you saying that. So you have been a stubborn fat burner in your world. <laughs> yes, <I am. laughs> what lessons have you learned uh, through that process for yourself? And then as you dug into the research and, and whatnot, what would you recommend to somebody in the, the realm of you're a stubborn fat burner. Here's some of the ways you can make the most of that. Yeah, that's really good. And that's an important part I, I talk about. I now have a course that I actually put out about how to implement some of the findings in the secret life of fat. And you know, we all have a fat blueprint, if you will, right? Like a way that our body deals with fat. And because of you know, genetics, because of gender, right? I write about a whole chapter about men versus women, how we mm. burn fat differently, um, how age matters as our fat busting hormones like testosterone, estrogen, growth hormone go down with age, right? We gain weight with age. And there's even viruses that can make you fatter. <laughs> you can catch them. Fat can be contagious in a way, right? The microbiome, right? That, that we talked about a little bit. Um, all those things factor into your fat blueprint. How fat do you get on that same muffin that your neighbor might be eating and not getting fat on? Right. Right. And th there's research to show that too, that we, our bodies respond differently to food. Some people get a glucose spike when they eat a muffin. Some people don't, nothing happens. Their body stays completely steady. We're very, very individual when it comes to fat loss. And so like as a trainer, as a diet coach, or any of these, these people, you know, out there, you've got to treat your clients really individually. And I had gone to coaches in my past too, and, and they were swearing I was cheating. I was not doing something right on their plan because it didn't melt as fast for You're, me. You got to measure your calories better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you really, you know, eating what you say you're eating in your diet log? You must be eating something else. You must be cheating. And it made me irate, you know, really. I bet. <laughs> and I just, I lose weight very slowly. So yours is individual. So what I tell the people is like, don't judge yourself by someone else's right diet. plan. They might lose weight faster. So a 22 year old man who has like 10 pounds extra that he's gotten just from like being, you know, eating junk food or whatever, 
he's going to lose that weight so quickly, right? If everything's healthy, all he really has to do is stop, cut down on carbs, exercise a little bit, maybe stop eating after seven or eight o'clock. He's going to be fine. In about three weeks, he's going to have, have that weight gone. The 55-year-old woman who has had two kids who has ha- yo-yo dieted in her life, right? So she's had that caloric penalty. You know, the fat has been there a long time and now has veins flowing through it. It's innervate, all, all those things, right? She's had a really hard time. The same 10 pounds could take her a month and a half to lose, right? Because her body has figured out all these ways now to keep the fat on. It's gotten very clever, right? So, you know, like we said, fat's an organ. It adopts. Our bodies adopt to keep it on. That's going to take her longer. So so what I tell people as they go on is, is, for one, don't get frustrated, no matter what your problem is, right? If it's a genetic problem, a genetic variant you have, if you're like me and you have stubborn fat, if you're older, you know, you can still get through it. It's going to take you longer and you'll have to apply yourself more. Mm. So the, the quick levers you can use are obviously, I mean, carbs, easy carbs, no matter what your body type, that is a thing to drop, right? So flour and sugar, try to try to really keep that down as much as possible, um, junk foods and all of that. The other biggest lever you have, I found to be, is the eating window. So when do you stop eating in the day? Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be really taxing. If, if you just give yourself like a 16 hour fast, right, extend that overnight fast, that has a big impact on how much weight you can lose. And, you know, one of the reasons are when you when you do fast, you release other hormones that really help you bust fat. So growth hormone peaks at night. Mm-hmm. When you eat, you actually mitigate the levels of the growth hormone in your blood. So it doesn't have as much effect. So if you can prolong that overnight fasting window, you get more fat burn. You know, glucagon is another one that comes out. So if you, if you stop eating, you get, you get glucagon Mm. in your blood. So if you can prolong it, it's going to help you bust fat. It also has odd effects. Like it helps increase willpower when you intermittent fasting. People overall feel a little bit more in control. You have more latitude on what you eat if you do intermittent fasting. Cause when you are eating, you don't have to be as strict as long as you do that overnight fast, it tends to help. The other important takeaway is that, you know, not every diet works for everyone. And so a diet has to work for you like psychologically and socially, right? If you don't like intermittent fasting, if you want to eat with your family at seven o'clock at night, every night, cause that's when you do your thing, that's not good for you, right? So don't get on something that's hard. That's a challenge for your lifestyle. Likewise, with all those diets that prepare, you know, require so much preparation and special foods you have to buy, right? That's not me. I'm not going to put that much into it, right? So I like intermittent fasting because I can kind of eat what I want during the day, but it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to work for you biologically. Like I've actually been on diets where I gained weight. People swore up and down. I should be losing weight. I gained like those ones that say you should graze and you should eat a little bit all the time. Right. That was a bodybuilder kind of diet for a while. You had to exercise a lot. And it was like the, the biggest loser, I think, employs this where they say you have to eat calories to burn calories. So you should eat every few hours. I gained weight on that diet. Right? Take that. <laughs> you know, and for some people that might work great. It might work with their life. And so it should work for you, you know, psychologically, socially, and also biologically, that diet should work for you. Mm-hmm. And then keep a log, right? So I, I keep a log of everything I eat. What's the caloric content of it? And what time did I eat it? And I, you, you'll start to see trends for yourself about things you can and can't eat because our bodies all respond a little differently to food. Mm-hmm. And like, at what time did you stop eating in the day? And, and if you're, if you're plateauing, you're having trouble losing increase that overnight fasting window. I think that's one of the biggest levers we have for stubborn fat is to fast just a little bit longer. Mm. 
the other thing is, you know, processed food, just get rid of it. We don't really know what's in it. There's all kinds of stabilizers in it, gelatins in it, all kinds of filler. You don't really know what's in it. Fresh food, cut down your, like your, your breads and your, and your grains more, you know, meats and salads and whole grains. It's not fun, right? But necessarily you don't have as much food latitude, but if you have stubborn fat, you have a little bit less food latitude. So it's the, what you eat, you know, as far as flours and sugars, cutting that down, staying with healthy whole grains, leafy vegetables, and then increase the fasting window. Between those two levers, you should get to where you want if you stay on it. Well said. Well said. Thank you for that. There's so many good pieces there. And I have a whole podcast full of this stuff, so I don't want to get annoyingly preachy. But mm-hmm. I, I do want to highlight two things you said there, which are very good. The first being the idea of fasting. I actually just released a show on this in particular. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of recommending regular intermittent fasting simply because I see it kind of like exercise. It's a stressor to tells the body what to do and then you adapt to it. But one of the things I love about what you said is that it's the mental capacity to make intelligent choices about food significantly decreases throughout the day. As you were talking about the doctors washing their hands, people aren't like, you know, what really gets me Ben and Jerry's at 9am. I have such a hard time not eating ice cream for breakfast. Nobody says that nobody says that ever because Ben and Jerry's is a problem at 9pm after the day has been long and a bunch of stuff going on. The kids are finally to bed, you know, and you're like sitting there watching your favorite show and you're like, you know, it sounds really good right now. Ben and Jerry's. (laughs) If you, if you have made the decision that you aren't going to eat after dinner, then now there's no other decisions to be made about that. Just like Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I'm not eating. I'm not eating till tomorrow morning when everybody gets together for breakfast or, or you know, at 10 when I decide to you know, break my fast. So I, I love what you said about that because I just finished a conversation with a guy that that was like, Hey man, this is what we're going to do. Like <laughs> you know, all the midnight snacking and stuff like that needs to go. We, we gotta, we gotta get over that. But the other thing you said, I think is, is really helpful. And this is something you dive into in the book, which is the effects of certain foods beyond just the caloric intake. It's really the effect of, of foods on our digestive tract to change our caloric intake. So one of the things you said here was, you know, shift away from the processed foods, the processed flour, the sugar, the who knows what else is in there. And it's not just like eat healthy for yourself. It's eat healthy for the microbiome that's going to be breaking down these foods because we know this and there's, you know, mixed messages out in the world of research right now. We don't know as much about it as we'd like, but we do know that what we eat affects how we break it down over time. And so the more complex carbohydrates we can consume, the more fiber we can consume, the better our body becomes at not storing all of our calories as fat. Um, it's, there's a you know complicated process that if you care to, we can get into it. But it's, it's the idea that what we eat doesn't just affect us now from a caloric perspective. It affects us over time in how our body processes the calories we eat. And so you said both of those things. I think that that was wonderful. I did want to bring up a thought. So I've, I've talked about the study before. You and I talked about it a bit pre-show. And it's that 
the it seems from a genetic perspective that certain exercise types may or may not be helpful in turning on the genes that promote fat loss and turning off the genes that promote fat accumulation. So this was actually done in 2019. Your book came out in 2016. So it's you know a little further down the road. But um, I, I'd love for any listeners who are listening to this to hear your exercise is not just about caloric burn we are finding that it can affect the way your body does and doesn't express your genetic heritage. And so that, that study, 18,000 participants in Taiwan, they found that jogging, walking, and yoga were more effective than cycling, mountain climbing, and weight training on whether or not people turned out to be obese despite their genetic heritage, which kind of brings me to something that you mentioned, Prisha, which is your next book. The next thing you'd like to focus on, which is the psychology of the uh, the process of managing. I don't. I'm probably doing this a terrible disservice, but the the process of managing a life where you're wrestling with your fat. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Can you give us a little like sneak peek at what it is that you're looking into and and what you're hoping to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really looking at you know some people can change their life. And, and they do it. There, there's some profound, deep revelation they have, and they actually get the courage, the confidence that they're going to change their life. And some people don't. They just kind of wallow in it for, for decades, you know, maybe their whole lives. Mm. I'm trying to get to the root of what it is that makes people want to change their life, right? And, and I do a little bit of talking this in the secret light of the fat. There's research um, from the National Weight Registry uh, database where they study like what, how, how did some people go on a diet, stay on it, and, and keep that weight loss? And what they find is there's just some shocking moment they had. There's either a diagnosis they had, right, of something terrible that's happened because of their weight, right, that they now have to lose it. Or they just got a picture of themselves. They saw a picture of themselves where they looked by far heavier than they thought. And, and there's something shocking so it's, it's, do we need to be shocked, right, to finally want to make that transition? Or, or what is it that gets people to want to change their life? So how can you do that to yourself? <laughs> how can you shock yourself to want to do this? And secondly, how can you stay on, on that path then? And I write a bit about that in The Secret Life of Fat. I have a chapter called Mind Over Fat. But it's about all the ways that we can, you know, strengthen willpower because it's like a muscle, mm-hmm. right? So the more you exercise it, the more you use it. The stronger it gets, the easier it gets, which is why intermittent fasting seems to improve willpower because you're having to use willpower to not eat at night. And so that's really important. And so I I think that the next thing I'm really digging into is, you know, when is the right time? We talked about stress and COVID, like there's right times to go on a mission, right? And that mission could be fat loss, but it's the same for drug usage, right? For people who gamble, any kind of change you want to make in life, there's a right time to do it. There's something that galvanizes you to want to do it. And then the trick is staying on that. What are all the things you can do daily, right, to stay on that journey and not come off? Because things happen like COVID or a job loss or a divorce or a relationship issue where it's a huge stressor. And how do you get through those then without completely going off the rails, right, which happens to so many people? So that's an area of interest for me going forward psychologically. It's mind over fat, right? How how do we how do we get ours? Because in the end, it's all us. We do this, right? And and like the same person can lose 50 pounds or the same person can gain 50 pounds. It's all within us. And we have to figure out what unlocks it. But, um, you know, to get back to like no matter what your, your predisposition is, you can still control it. I do write about the one patient, Randy Voss, in the book. Um, he's a very interesting person. He actually, he had a virus that caused fats. So he had, he had gotten this early and he always struggled with weight, kind of like I did. 
And um, he finally he finally got to a, a clinic where they diagnosed him and said, okay, you have this one virus that is known to cause fat. And, and just having that knowledge, right? If he felt so empowered after that, because now he understood this is why I'm having a problem. This is why I'm not normal. Mm. And he's now, he, he was very heavy for a while, but he's now in his 60s and he's about six foot three and he's very, very thin. And he, he calls himself, he says, I'm not part of the eating world, right? I, I'm part of this other world. And I think acknowledging what you have, right? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Knowledge is power. You now know what it is. And now you can make the changes that are going to help you stay on that journey forever. So and like you've done the same, right? You, you realize that you had you know, a health issue, a genetic you know, um, issue, and you've learned what it, what it takes for you, right? To stay healthy on that. And it's a different life, but it's a good life. And you're, you're empowered, right? And you're in control of it. So even though I talk about all the different ways we get fat, not all of it is because of food alone or gluttony alone. You know, never forget. I want people to never forget you are in control. There are things you can do, right, to manage that fat, manage your weight in your life, right? You just have to empower yourself with the knowledge, accept it, and then make the make the permanent changes to, to be able to manage your, your health. Mm, I love that. It's the idea of making this fat loss journey work for you yeah. rather than you working against your fat. Like it's... I mean, it's an organ. You're stuck with it, bro. Like it's not going anywhere. <laughs> and you need it. It's yeah, very important. Exactly. Right? It's very, you don't want your brain size to shrink. You don't want your bones to get thin, right? You need your fat. So you have to respect it like you do your lungs, your heart. There's like disease to keep your heart healthy, keep your lungs healthy. You actually have to keep your fat healthy. It's actually that important. So well said. So well said. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I feel like as we're, as we're coming to, this is something I could talk about quite a while with you but as we're coming to the end here uh, a couple of things I wanted to make sure we talked about I just thought was just stupid interesting one was uh, you spoke in the book about, you don't really use these terms like good fat and bad fat but there there's different types of fat so one one fat type you talk about is brown fat and one of the things that you know my audience is mostly men it's defining dad bod but we got some lady listeners holler to you ladies who are uh, supporting the show I appreciate you you're awesome we, we wouldn't have kids without you. <laughs> so that said, men have likely heard of a guy named Wim Hof, who's jumping into like freezing cold lakes and, and uh, encouraging people yeah. to take cold showers and breathe and stuff. Can you tell me a bit about some of the research you saw in brown fat, the, the yeah. idea of fat that actually burns energy rather than stores it so much and you know what that looks like and what you found? Yeah. And that brown fat comes into the fat loss begets fat loss kind of narrative, right? So there's three types of fat and there's different fat deposits in your body. So I'm sure, you know, your listeners know there's subcutaneous fat, the fat right underneath your skin, but then there's visceral fat, that fat underneath your stomach wall. That's the really unhealthy fat that you want to lose, right? And you can actually be heavy fat, but fit if you don't have visceral fat. And I write about sumo wrestlers in the book because they're a case of that. Um, so there's different locations of fat and there's different types of fat. So there's white fat, which is the kind of fat you want to lose when you, you lose weight, right? It's the subcutaneous fat, visceral fat. There's also brown fat and that's around your, your neck, your spine and your heart area. And it actually burns calories, right? So white fat, the whole role is to store calories and, and release the hormones. Brown fat burns calories to produce heat. And so the more you swim, the more you expose yourself to cold, the more brown fat you can get. 
And there's something called beige fat, which is fat that is willing to turn brown if given the right trigger, right? So if you do exercise, right, beige fat can turn brown. So it's interesting. Um, and when we get into fat loss, it gets fat loss. So if you get rid of like your processed food, your, your flour, your sugar, you eat a lot of leafy greens and diversify your vegetable and fruit intake. Like you said, you start to change your microbiome. Right. And the microbiome has there's bacteria in our guts. Some of the bacteria are very good at extracting calories out of food and storing it as fat. Some of the bacteria lets it lets it pass more. Right. You, you have more waste. And so the more you have high fat foods, the more of that bacteria you get, that's really good at extracting calories and putting it into fat. But when you start to change it, and you eat more leafy greens and salads, that kind of bacteria actually decreases and a different type of bacteria that deals with fiber, plant fiber comes into play. And a lot of your calories will now start passing and not absorb. So again, you're eating fewer calories. That's a good start right there. You're eating healthier. That's a good start. But you're also changing your microbiome to not extract so many calories out of your food. Now, when you start exercising on top, not only are you burning calories and you're increasing muscle mass, which burns more calories than fat your bone mass as well, that burns more calories than fat. You're also increasing brown fat that's going to burn calories, right? And so fat loss will be get fat loss. When you go down this path of, you know, I'm going to lose weight, you start eating differently, your body responds differently. It starts adopting in a way that is storing less calories and burning more if you keep doing that fat loss program. And that can counter the effects of the caloric penalty we talked about where people who you know had to yo-yo diet and they lost weight and now they, they need fewer calories. You counteract it by eating healthier, changing your microbiome, increasing your brown fat if you can, increasing your muscle mass if you can, right? And then also that blood supply we talked about earlier, it's not gonna start going to your muscles, right? Because you're, you're working on your muscles, you're building them up. It's gonna say, hold on, we're building up this tissue now, right? So, okay, you were going to fats, but now we need blood supply going to our muscles or bones, other places, or because we're building a different tissue. Mm -hmm. So your body wants to adopt to its new surrounding. And, and so you just have to give it time and be patient with it. But just know that once you start doing it, it might be fast, it might take you know, months, but you will get into a new kind of steady state, if you will, where your body's responding to this new environment and you'll start looking different because of it. Mm, well said. I, I appreciate that. You, you actually use a analogy in the book that I find helpful and you talk about a budget but not I've had conversations on the show with folks who think about budget as in like a caloric thing every day but you speak yeah. specifically about a, a budget in terms of energy in the body in three different stages so let me know if I'm doing this wrong but the you talk about your caloric intake and the the sugar in your bloodstream is kind of like your cash reserve like yeah. I've got money I've got money I can spend in my wallet, right? Then you talk about your glycogen, which is, you know, the long chain carbohydrates that are stored in your, your liver and muscles. That's, that's really like your checking account. It's money on hand. You're ready to spend it. It's not very hard to get out. But then you talk about fat as if it's a certificate of deposit. It's like, uh, yeah. like from an energy perspective, your body's like, hey, we're going to keep this in the bank as long as possible, right? And how the changes that folks make oftentimes aren't around long enough to convince the body that the large certificate of deposit is not necessary. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that analogy? I enjoy that analogy because, you know, currency is a much more complicated process than just what you spend every day. And just like fat as an organ, it's a much more complicated and much more uh, 
a robust system than you know a day-to-day -day caloric expenditure versus intake. So can you talk a little bit about that analogy and, and how you came up with it? Yeah, sure. Um, it was a natural a parallel, I thought, right, as we talk about it. So the other thing is, like, so glucose in your blood is what, yes, it's cash, it's fast. You need energy, you need to sprint that. There you go, you got it. Same, same with glycogen. Glycogen is glucose stacked together and in muscle cells, right, and in liver. Fat is totally different. It's no longer glucose. It's a chain of carbon atoms right together. So if you have to use fat, you can't just liquidate it and use it because it's not glucose. It's not sugar that your body can use. Your body has to go through and converts those carbon molecules now right into some form of energy that can be used like, like a glucose or, or ATP. And it's a longer process. It's a biochemically heavier process than just using sugar in your blood or glycogen. And so your body doesn't want to have to activate that process unless you really need to. Mm -hmm. and, and so you have to, you know, be low enough. You've used the glucose in your blood done. Okay. You've, you've using up glycogen. That's kind of done now. Okay. Now let's get into fat. Let's activate those biochemical pathways that help us turn those carbon chains into other molecules that can be used by the body for, for fuel. So that's, that's where the fat loss begets fat loss again, because there's a resistance to do that initially. It, your body would rather use the, the fast versions of energy, um, but to force it to go into there, you have to actually deplete quite a bit of, of sugars in your blood and glycogen and then activate that pathway. The more you activate that pathway, the faster your body will now reach for that pathway for fat. And in my chapter about men versus women, I write about something really interesting is that women's bodies actually use fat more readily, right? Men's bodies tend to go for glycogen more when, you, when you're doing a workout, right? A really good workout, you're burning off 600 calories or so. Men's bodies will reach for glycogen for fuel. Women's bodies are okay to get into their fat. They have a much more open relationship with their fat, if you will, right? Where it goes back and forth. But at the same time, after that exercise period, women are very good at storing fat. They'll store fat at two to three times the rate that men will store fat. So if you, like, after you work out and you go to eat, women's bodies also want to eat more after that. They produce 33% more ghrelin after working out, right? So ghrelin is a hormone from your stomach that causes hunger. So women get a huge hunger response. Um, their bodies don't want to lose that fat, even though they use more of it during a workout. And they tend to pile up on their plate more. And so you have to be very careful as a woman after you work out to distract yourself and not overeat. But even when you eat, they eat just minimally after a workout, their bodies will store fat and the nutrients, right? Two to three times the rate that men do into their fat. Women partition nutrients differently than fat. So it's really important. Um, so, it, you know, that, that's kind of the, the cash thing. I think I wrote about it for women. It's like a 401k, right? Because we partition a certain amount of nutrients into our, our 401k, if you will, no matter what, like 401k, if you say, I want 20% going into there, that's coming out of your paycheck, no matter what, right? You, you know, you could go broke on the other side, you know, but you're getting 20% into your, into your 401k. And for, for fat, it's the same way. Men and women partition nutrients differently. Women will put more into fats, right? Partition more into it than men will. So their bodies are just, they want to have more fat. It's important for reproduction, for bone, for brains, all these things, particularly in women. Um, but they'll use fat more too. So it's, it's interesting. And, and from a biological perspective, that's an important open relationship for a woman's body to have, right? Because, you know, yeah. in, in a woman's life, she has the amazing life-giving process of, of growing a baby and, and feeding it. And then even, you know, post-menopause, when your ovaries aren't working anymore, you still need some estrogen. And so you're... 401k, so to speak, is like, hey, man, don't worry, we got you covered. We got estrogen even past these ovaries, you know, like, and, and that said, not if, if there are any ladies listening, that doesn't mean that you're you're destined to be fatter than you'd like to be for the rest of your life. It just means that it's important to understand that your body is going to process fat differently 
fat, sugar, carbohydrates differently than your partner. And that might mean that there are different behaviors that will behoove you versus him in your journey. And that's, I, I, if people don't take anything else away from this conversation, this is a really good takeaway that is in a relationship. That's a negotiation thing. That's a, that's a thing worth talking about. You know, my, my wife's a dietitian, but she's also a female, which means that from a nutrition perspective and from an exercise perspective, her pursuits look very different from mine in order to be the healthiest, most positive thing and sustainable thing for her. And, you know, I might eat a certain way for, you know, for my wife, we we come together and we eat the same things for dinner, but we often eat different things for breakfast and we often eat different things for lunch. And, you know, I often have different fasting feeding windows than she does. And I often have different exercise you know, practices than she does. And, and that's important and powerful. So I, I hope that people here look at a biological level in a relationship, the best thing we can do is support what's best for each other. And then uh, I would also say to the men, be a little sensitive about this thing. Sometimes you don't need to be eating ice cream in front of your gal at 8 p.m. Um, because you're doing it to recover from your workout and that's all well and good, but she's really trying to adhere to her intermittent fasting window and you're kind of ruining that for her. So stop it. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I think men do have to think about is um, they partition less into their fat, but they also tend to be unhealthier. Like you have more nutrients floating around. So there's more heart disease in men, right? More, more issues like that. And so even though it might feel good that, yeah, I can eat more and I'm not getting fat. There's another variant I write about in the book, um, IRS1, A and B, right? And and they, they studied men who had either. There were some men who were fatter and they had a predisposition for fat, but their blood was cleaner. They were storing their nutrients away very quickly which is what that's supposed to do. It's to sequester, right? Nutrients out. So they're not getting stored in other places in your body. The other men, um, I think it was B, they had a different, the different variant and uh, they actually were thinner, but they had a lot more nutrients floating around. And so even though men might feel really good that, you know, they're thinner than women, thank God, you know, I'm not a woman. I don't have to gain that weight gain. Later in life, when your testosterone starts going down, it becomes a bigger issue. Men get more belly fat with age, right? Um, and they get more visceral fat, right? More visceral fat that makes them more unhealthy. And so it becomes more important than I think exercise for men. So what you're doing, right? Coaching and training for exercise. Another hormone we didn't talk about so far is adiponectin, and that's also released by fat. And adiponectin helps guide fat in the bloodstream to healthy deposits in your body, right? So we touched on sumo wrestlers, and I write about this in, in the book. Sumo wrestlers, obviously, they are obese, okay? But, but interestingly, they eat 6,000 calories a day, but they also exercise six hours a day. Exercise helps fat release adiponectin into the bloodstream. So when they exercise, all those calories they're eating, they're getting deposited into subcutaneous fat away from the belly. All that fat you see on a sumo wrestler's belly is right underneath the skin. It's not underneath the stomach wall. So they're depositing their fat in the right place. And oddly, they are fat but fit. So if you do a CT image, right, of their belly, they don't have visceral fat and they don't have metabolic disease and they don't have heart disease, even though they're obviously obese. So I think for men, as you age, your testosterone levels going down, you've never partitioned fat, you know, as well as women have. And so it starts to become an, an issue as you age. And so exercise becomes important. And it's not just light exercise, I'm sorry to say, it's like actually pretty strenuous exercise to get your adiponectin to come out and put your fat in the right place. So look at, you know, at least 45 minutes a day, you know, hit, I find hit to be very good, right, for that. 
strength building, right? Squats, things like that, you know, a fast run. Those are things, exercises that are going to help adiponectin and come out of your fat, get released from fat and help put fat in the right place for you as you, as you go into later years. Mm, well said, man, I could talk to you all day. Thank you for <laughs> taking the time to walk through both the contents of your book, which I'll put the link in the show notes below the secret life of fat by Dr. Sylvia Tara, but also for talking a bit about the psychological aspects of handling the hand you've been dealt well. And I I appreciate that from you very much. I think one of the reasons I appreciate you is you come at it from the perspective of a biochemist who has wrestled with her own biology, as opposed to much of the health and fitness world or many of the diet books out there are like, I've done a lot of physique competitions and I look pretty good, you know, with my shirt off. And so here's how you count calories a little more efficiently. And it's like, ah, Mm -hmm. like, you know, most people who have those genetic backgrounds aren't struggling. <laughs> They're just not with the whole fat question. But I appreciate your work in it from the perspective of I'm a nerd too. So I thanks for the science, but also just the idea that your journey brought you to a place where you could make the most of the hand you've been dealt. And I appreciate your work for doing that for other people. So across the way, I just want to knuckle bump you. Thank you for your <laughs> Keep up the good work. And I'm looking forward to your next work around the psychological aspect of the transformative process. I think there's precious little research on that topic. (laughs) And, you know, we talk about the nuts and bolts after the fact, after you want to change, what do you do with calories and what kind of carbohydrates in your microbiome, but the process leading up to it, you know, the 30 years that it took you to come to this aha moment and decide you're going to do something differently for yourself. That is, well, when it's done, please let me know. Please ping me. We will get on. We will talk about it. And I think it would be a, a good thing for people to hear. Yeah, no, the, the, the psychological parts as important as the biological parts. And, uh, you know, we'll all get there. We'll get there together. It'll be good. But this was a really fun podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, we've only scratched the surface of all the research that, that I did. So I, I think if people want to hear more, it's laid out much, much clearer and a lot more right in the secret life of fat. And then if people want a little bit more, there's a course as well that goes along with it to help implement. Because I think I was, I was quite scientific in the book, but the the, the course has more of the how-tos. And yeah, the so, practicals. Yeah, uh-huh. I'll make sure that I get that link from you and drop that in the show notes below as well. So that if people want to yeah. go through that course and, and make this more practical for themselves, they can do that too. I've got all kinds of people who listen to this show from the level of super nerd who wants to hear all the science. And I love you guys. Thank you for being super nerds with me, but also to the, you know, Hey, I could care. Like, can you give me the cliff notes version, Alex, shut up and just tell me what to do. And I think they'll appreciate both of those resources from you. I like to give my guests the last word. Uh, So Dr. Sylvia Tara, is there anything you want to make sure that people hear from you that they might not have heard thus far, or that you want to leave them with? My closing comments, I think are really just around I'm glad that we're recognizing stubborn fat, that not everybody has the same fat. So if you've done things in your life and you've gained weight, you've lost, you've gained, really don't despair, right? I, I think the reasons for those is because we don't understand our fat. And once you understand what your fat is doing in your body, how it's controlling your mind, how it's controlling your metabolism, all the way it fights to stay on you when you're trying to lose it. That is going to empower you to stay the course. You'll you'll understand why you feel hungry. You'll understand why it's taking you three weeks to lose three pounds, right? And it's true. Our our bodies are different once we've struggled with fat and been gaining and losing this whole time. So just know there are people like you. There are people who are fighting that fight and they're succeeding, right? There's a whole database, you know, there's researchers studying them. And really what it takes is first recognize you really want to do it. 
pick a time in your life that's the right time to do it, right? And I write about this in, in The Secret Life of Fat. There's certain times in your life that are right. There, there's something called fresh starts where you pair that time in your life and you go on that path then. Plan for it. Know it's going to be hard. It's going to take you months and make the sacrifices to do it. It's not easy. And I think one thing different about me and perhaps some others is I'll never tell you you're going to lose 20 pounds in 20 days, right? These diet slogans can make you feel really terrible. They make you feel like you are failing because you can't do what they do. And like, you know, you said, Alex, some of these people, they're bodybuilders are like, oh, how do you eat a little bit fewer calories to be even leaner and more cut? That works for them, 20 pounds in 20 days. That is not going to work for everybody. And I think the dieting industry can make people feel quite terrible because they'll put images in front of people who are perfect, six pack abs, and you can get this if you follow my diet. And if you didn't get that, that means you did something wrong, right? It's your fault. They're not trying to understand you and your individual fat blueprint. And it's something you will have to do yourself and make those changes. But once you understand your fat, you can make almost any diet work for you. You just have to make some modifications to it that work for your body, right? So again, pick something that works for you socially, psychologically, works for you biologically, and pick something you want to stay on for the long haul. Because with that body type, you're not going to lose, you know, 20 pounds and go back to the way it was. Like this is going to be the way it is now, this way of eating. So pick something you like that you can stay on. And it's not meaning that you can't ever come off. You can't ever celebrate and have an ice cream. Of course you can, but you just have to be able to get back on to that regular the lifestyle you have that you create for yourself that works for you. Mm. Wise and compassionate words. Dr. Sylvia Tara, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for hopping on the show today. And to my listeners, you guys know what's coming. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. Until next time, guys, kick butt, take names. The free practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of better daily if this episode has been helpful to you share it with someone in your life who you know it will benefit then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value defining dad bond has brought to your health and fitness journey finally if you're struggling for betterment don't do it alone we all have a cross to carry and it's lighter when we do it together go to definingdadbond.com slash better daily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily.